Amen. Friends, I invite you to remain standing as you are able in body or spirit as we read together from God's holy word. For a number of us, this may be a familiar scripture, but God always has something new to teach us. And so let us seek to receive these words anew this day as we read from Matthew's gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until the son of man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And I invite you to join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? It's a phrase that has begun to be used many places, not just in worship, but for any of those experiences that we have that tug at our hearts and our emotions, that are powerful experiences that enliven our souls and speak deep inside us to something really powerful. But the phrase mountaintop experiences comes from scripture not only here at the end of Matthew's gospel, but earlier in scripture as well. (coughs) Earlier in scripture as well, when when God brings Moses up to the top of the mountain and gifts him with the stone tablets that contain the Ten Commandments, Elijah encounters God in the mountain of silence. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus preaches a powerful word uh, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount because he was proclaiming this from a mountain in Matthew's gospel. The mountains are where people in scripture would go when they sought to encounter God. And if you've ever been on top of a mountain, if you've seen the view from Pinnacle here in Little Rock or gone over to Pettygene near Moralton, if you've gotten to Mount Magazine, the highest point in the state of Arkansas, or any mountainous experiences, and you look out over that vista at this glorious creation, 
It's no wonder that God sought to encounter people on the mountains. But in our scripture lesson for today, we have a little bit of a different mountaintop experience. Our scripture begins with the phrase, six days later. Six days later, and and when we hear this in scripture, many times uh, it's a good idea to say, okay, what is that referring to? Six days later than what? Um, Six days later than, than what happened brings us to today. And so immediately preceding today's scripture comes Jesus telling his disciples about his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And upon hearing this, the apostle Peter says, no, (laughs) no, Jesus, no, you are not supposed to suffer and die. We're not having any of that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because the, the way that God's love is experienced is not an easy kind of love. It is a love that goes to the depth of our suffering and our struggle. It is a love that extends to the most difficult of places. And if we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then Jesus says, we must be willing to do that as well. After Jesus has foretold his own death and resurrection, he goes on to tell his disciples that if anyone wishes to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up and follow their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Cheery words, Jesus. Way to make us want to do this. And so six days after that, after those conversations are weighing on their hearts and minds and souls, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. These three are kind of like the executive team of the disciples. There were a few times when there were these three persons that Jesus would bring with him if he didn't take the whole group. And part of me wonders if those other disciples were a little bit jealous. Why don't we get to go up to the mountain with Jesus? But then again, perhaps Jesus just getting done telling them that they may die for his sake, they might not want to go up to a very high mountaintop. But nevertheless, these three disciples who do get to go up with Jesus experience something incredible. Because before his very eyes, Jesus is transfigured. He is transfigured before them. This, This image, this person that was standing before them is completely transformed. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became bright as light. Something incredible is going on here. And if that wasn't enough, Moses and Elijah show up. And Jesus begins talking with them. I'm not sure how they knew, the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah. It's not like they had pictures of them from those thousands of years before, but somehow they know that standing there talking to Jesus are Moses, the one who delivered the Hebrew people from slavery, and Elijah, the prophet that worked with the people to bring about 
better obedience to God. And then Jesus, and the three of them are sitting there talking. I wonder what they're talking about. Really curious about that. But as they are talking, Peter begins to speak. Y'all, I think Peter must have had great audacity to interrupt that holy conversation going on there. But Peter interrupts and he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The word there used for tents was also used in ancient times as the word tabernacle, um, which were these tents, these holy tents that were er erected in ancient times where the people would set up camp, and it was this holy place whereby they could encounter God. And so it's as if Peter is saying, let me build a holy place right here. Let us build a holy tent so that this moment, this glorious moment, this holy moment can be recreated over and over again. We want to be able to stay here, to dwell in this glory for longer than just a moment. Let me set up those tents. Let us remain here in this place of holy glory and awe. But while Peter is still speaking, a voice interrupts him. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This claim of belovedness that that voice from the cloud that comes down to claim Jesus as beloved, we've heard that before. We heard those words at Jesus' baptism. But here there is an added clause. Listen to him. This is my son, this is my beloved, in him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Maybe... The voice, maybe God was trying to silence Peter, or maybe he was reminding those disciples. Listen to him. Remember what he just said six days earlier? This is not the end. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear. I would be too. <laughs> But Jesus came and touched them and he said, get up and do not be afraid. Those wonderful words of reassurance from God whenever we find our hearts anxious and fearful. Do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Wonder if questions running through their minds were going, okay, what's next? Are things just gonna go back to normal? I imagine them wrestling this as they begin to walk down the mountain with Jesus. And as they were coming down, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, if I am the disciples and we're walking down the mountain and all of this has just happened, I'm going, what? <laughs> That's gonna be my face. Like, like, seriously, Jesus, I've got so many questions. 
what just happened, first of all? What were you talking to Moses and Elijah about? What did that voice mean when it said, listen to him? Do you have a specific message for us? And then you don't want us to tell anyone about this? You expect things just to go back to normal? What is going on? How is this experience supposed to change and to impact how we move forward if we're not supposed to talk about it until after you have been raised from the dead? What? But the thing about mountaintop experiences is that no matter how glorious they are, we do always come back down. And the challenge is how that experience of glory can be carried forth into our lives, can be carried forth from the mountain down into the plains and the valleys. There's a number of different interpretations in the art world for this vision, for this scripture. There are a number of different interpretations that I love to look at to see how people envision this incredible moment. One of those is from Anne Reed. The Transfiguration by Anne Reed, this kind of modern envisioning of this. And what I love about this here is that you've got Jesus and the three disciples and Moses and Elijah are up. It's like Jesus is, is this bridge, this bridge going with the disciples in this kind of transfigured way. It is as if Jesus is, is bringing them along, ushering them along into the holy experience of God. And then we have this ancient transfiguration by Theophanes the Greek. Jesus shining in this incredible glory and the disciples really falling completely over themselves uh, in this moment, head over heels for what is going on. And you've got kind of these pockets of folks as well looking on that are representing current saints, at least in, in that century, the saints of that current church who are also seeking to experience the presence of Christ. Then we have this other piece, the Transfiguration of Christ by Jason Polentan that really seeks to capture the brightness of this moment. And I love that the disciples have fallen down, but that Peter, perhaps it is, is, is trying, trying to touch, trying to reach out. Jesus, just let us stay here. I just want to experience this glory. I just want to be able to experience your presence in a more palpable way. That reaching out to Jesus. Then we have this Russian icon, which is, again, an kind of re-envisioning of the Greek artwork from earlier. And again, we have people trying to situate themselves in this story. As the Greek artwork had different trees and different kinds of people, but everything was the same. And here in Russia, 
There's using Russian trees and kind of Russian uh, dress as they try and find the place where they fall in this story. Where do they fall in the glory of God? But perhaps the most famous and the one that speaks most to me is the Transfiguration by Raphael. And you'll notice here that up on the mountain you have Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah, the three disciples falling down before him. You have those onlookers to the side that are contemporaries of Raphael's, reminding them that we are onlookers to this moment as well. We are those modern people looking at this and trying to find our place in it. But then what I love about this painting is that not far below, still in the picture, still in the imagery, are the people down below. Is this boy down below? The only one of that picture down below looking up. A boy who, in just a few short verses after our scripture for today, will be healed by Jesus. The hurts of the world so close to this holy moment. Because the truth is, as we look at the six days before, at this moment, and at what comes immediately after, we find that God's glory cannot be easily separated from the sufferings of the world. That the power of God's glory through Jesus Christ is that God's glory comes to the suffering of the world. And that in that, transformation happens for us. Jesus talks about how they aren't to tell of this until he has risen from the dead. Yes, there is suffering and there will be suffering, but there will also be resurrection. Because that glory of God is coming to earth. And through the suffering and through the valleys, there will eventually be this complete transformation of all of us as we are made new in the power of God. But in the meantime, in the meantime, before that day, when all is transformed, we are to go down the mountain and into the world. And I wonder, I just wonder if maybe the reason why Jesus told the disciples not to say anything about that vision was because until that time when he was resurrected, until that time when the full experience of resurrection could come to all, Jesus sought for his disciples to bring the glory of God to the valleys, to the places of suffering and struggle, to not look back at that vision and want to remain there, but to say, how can we take the glory of Christ into the struggles of the world? 
At its best, that is what the church, the people of God today are called to do. Our worship, our praise of God, our prayers are just a starting point for how we are to live out our faith and experience the glory of God. Because the glory of God is not something that can be contained. It is not something that we can build a tent around. But the glory of God through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, invites us to go down those mountains of mountaintop experiences and out into the valleys where little boys need to be healed, where people need to be loved and cherished, where the world needs to be changed. And so today, as we leave this place, let us seek to take the power of the spirit of Christ with us into the places that need care and that need hope, that need to know that the valleys in which they are in are not the end, but that there is resurrection life coming. Let us go to be God's presence, bringing hope, bringing healing, and bringing the glorious love of Jesus into God's world. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you abundant thanks for your glory that comes to us. Not just on mountaintops, but in our valleys of life. Help us as your church, as your people, to bring your love to a hurting world, to bring your hope to a weary people, to bring the power of your glory into the valleys of life so that that transformation that we experience in your presence can be experienced by your people. Amen.